my son-in-law, Max Kozak, is an elder in training and a worship leader at City's Church, and he is preaching this morning, right now, this moment. And he's been given an opportunity to jump into a series on the book of Galatians. <clears throat> so a couple weeks ago, we spent a lot of the hours of the afternoon talking through the book of Galatians, reflecting on the gospel in that book. And I was really reminded <clears throat> from the book of Galatians that our position in Christ as justified, that is where God looks at us right now and declares us forgiven and righteous and free right now, that position in Christ is by faith alone in the finished work of the cross alone. But what's interesting about Max's passage is that while we started certainly by faith, we don't, in the finished work of Christ, we go on in sanctification, in practice, becoming conformed into Christ by faith alone. And I was reminded of that profound truth that everything is faith in the finished work of Christ. So in the Christian life, if we obey the command to love our enemies, we don't obey out of legalism, but out of love for Jesus Christ. But you know what? I find the same pattern in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that it's love that motivate, motivates love for enemies, right in our passage. So I want you to look at Luke chapter 6 and find verse 27. Remember the evidence, we have been saying, the evidence of genuine discipleship is supernatural love for one's enemies. And we were blown out of the water after the nature and the reality of that love last week and what it looked like in verses 27 through 31 where love's action, love for enemies' action was stated. And it was simple. Love does good, love blesses, and love prays. Look at it in verse 27. Jesus says, after he talks about the blessed one and the woe-filled ones, he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and Pray for those who mistreat you. And then that, that action of love was illustrated powerfully. Remember that? Love, love reacts a certain way when you're mistreated. Love for enemies looks like uh, something when your face is struck, when your coat is taken, when you're asked for a loan, when you're robbed of your valuables. Love for your enemies looks like something. And that's what he went through in verse 29. Look at it again. Let's just read it. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him 
either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. So that was love's action, stated and illustrated, and then the famous attitude that sums all of that up, and the golden rule, love's attitude was stated in verse 31, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. And I know how you're feeling after last week. Just do it. The Nike commercial. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Jesus commands it. Let's do it. Moralism. In fact, some people have accused Jesus of of preaching simple morality in his Sermon on the Mount. I couldn't disagree more. We don't love out of obligation. We don't love out of duty. We love, we don't love in order to become sons of God. We love because he first loved us. And what I want you to see this morning is that the Apostle Paul is the one building upon the truth of Jesus Christ and his teaching, not the other way around. That the same motivation for love for enemies is found right here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not moralism. In other words, the reality of our love for enemies that we talked about last week, the reality of it, in in love's actions and attitude, remember? The reality flows out of the reasons for love for our enemies. And that's what we're going to cover today then, the reason for loving our enemies. enemies. And we'll find this in Luke 6, starting at verse 32. Why do we love our enemies? Just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, moralism, is that why? To answer this question, Jesus turns, and he's going to give us three reasons, three motivations, three reasons that we love our enemies. And let's read our passage now. Let's read 32 through 36, and let's see how many of the three reasons for love you can find as I read. Look for them as I read. Luke chapter 6. Pick it up after the golden rule in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount, but, strong contrast, but love your enemies And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Stop there. Why do we love our enemies? Well, I think verses 32 through 36 um, 
teach us three incredible reasons, three incredible reasons that we as true disciples of Jesus Christ supernaturally love our enemies. Three reasons. Number one, we are radically different. We are radically different from verses 32 through 34. You're going to have to let me unpack this for you to see this. But just write it down. We are radically different. Jesus contrasts in verses 32 through 34 really the natural love and the supernatural love. The natural love of sinners and the supernatural love of saints. Verse 32, look at it. If you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? Even sin, for even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. He's trying to make a point, and here it is. And I'm going to try to unpack it briefly. We are radically different than whoever is categorized here as sinners. Radically. That's normal. Natural love. No, no, we're not on that normal plane anymore. Radical supernatural love. That's the plane you are on. And so he unpacks it. And let's just take one by one just briefly. Let's just let this sink in. We are radically different. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Jesus is saying, and he calls it love, that there's a natural human love that is found among unbelievers. Whom he categorizes here as sinners. Whether pagans, just completely apart from Christ, or whether false disciples professing Christ makes no matter. Everyone in the world loves reciprocally. What do I mean by that? You love me, I love you. It's reciprocal. Everyone does that. Everyone loves to get something. In other words, if someone's nice to you, then it's natural to be nice to them. It's natural for you to love them. If my next-door neighbor comes over to my house, my uh, snowblower is like from 1950, I think. If someone, and I, it's 21 below, and we have 12 inches of snow, and my neighbor comes over and snow blows out my driveway, my unsaved neighbor, um, Wow, it's natural to love that neighbor. It's natural to do something nice back. It's no big deal. No biggie, Jesus says. Even sinners do that. No biggie. Don't think that somehow you're commending Pharisees. He's probably talking to the Pharisees. Don't think you're commending yourself to God somehow by this natural love. 
That's, not, that's everybody. That's nothing special. But we are radically different. Number two, illustration. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Same point. But you think of doing good. It's, it's an outward action. It's a concrete act of good to others. And Jesus is saying there's a natural love that expresses itself in doing of good in this world. And here it is. It's natural. You want to hear the natural love? You scratch my back, I, I scratch your back. You have me over to your home, I'll have you over to my home. Even the phrase, he returned the favor, is natural love. Nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not supernatural. It's not neither here nor there, Jesus says. This is natural among human beings. But understand that, at a, that where it's flowing from is really self-advancement, self-preservation, and all of that. In fact, I read a book once. I don't recommend you read this book. I don't. So I maybe shouldn't use the illustration, but I read this book a long time ago, um, an old book called Atlas Shrugged. It's a political book. Don't read it. It's got some junk in it. But I read it, and I really understood the humanistic philosophy of a political theory that really humans want to pursue happiness. It's sort of innate. It's built in. But it's misplaced. In this way of thinking, in this book, Atlas Shrugged, you pursue your own happiness hard. And if everyone pursues their own happiness hard, they'll do good to others because they want to be happy. But everyone will start doing good to others because they all want to be happy. And that will lead not only to good maybe a good political form of commerce, which the book argues, but it's a whole worldview that flows from the atheistic author. And it's reciprocal love that bases a whole political system on and fuels money-making and fuels the pursuit of happiness. But I'm just trying to t tell you, it's not, it makes for good capitalistic theory, but it's simply natural humanistic love. It's reciprocal service. It's reciprocal service not radical service, but we are not sinners, Jesus says. We are not. We are radically different. Okay, let's do another illustration. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. The idea here is you lend money to people, but you want to get that money back, you want to make a safe loan for self. we got to be safe, right? Safety. Safety first. And he's saying, that's not radical love. Don't, don't put your hope in that. That's protecting yourself ultimately. There's not anything particularly wrong with this, but it's a self-centered ethic. Don't look at this as special evidence that you're a follower of Christ. 
That doesn't define you as the blessed man. No, even sinners do that. You know what I'm talking about. Anybody, raise your hand. Anybody ever heard of or seen the TV show Shark Tank? Right? Okay, so is Mr. Wonderful going to, you know, he, someone pitches a business idea, right, to the sharks with all this money? No. Which, which ones are they going to support? Some of them have really tear-jerking stories. But at the end of the day, they are going to put their money where they're going to get the return. Am I right? That's where they're going to put their money. And that, Jesus is saying, is typical what the world is going to do. Mr. Wonderful is going to do that. You're going to give money in order to get it back. I hug you after the deal. We are best friends now, but it's to get money from them. It's natural. Even sinners do that. It doesn't make a difference if you're pagan or a professor in Christ. It's really natural, reciprocal love. And Jesus is saying this is natural, reciprocal love. Do not compare this to supernatural, radical love for one's enemies. That's what he's saying. And so he goes on to summarize, and he says it again by way of emphasis, verse 35, but super emphatic in the original text, but as, a, as for you who hear, you who are real, you who are with me, love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return. Strong contrast. Even when they harm you, giving to those who are in need, expecting nothing in return. This is an interesting word, expecting nothing in return. We lend and literally we do not despair. We lend and we do not despair. We're not concerned whether you ever see that money paid back in that sense. No future strings. My inheritance is set. I'm not striving for my best life now. Mine is the kingdom of heaven. I will be satisfied. I will laugh. This is radical and this is what radical love looks like. I have been radically saved. I am radically different. There's a motivation here. I am radically different. I am not natural anymore. I live in the plane of the supernatural. There's motivation here. What Jesus is saying, there's a motivation. Our fundamental attitude towards sin has changed. We are now humbled before God because of our sin. We're not trying, we're poor in spirit. We're beggars before God. We need God to save us. We cannot save ourselves. Our attitude has changed before God. And because of our vertical attitude that has changed, our horizontal attitude has changed before people too. We love radically, just like we love the Father radically. We need Him radically. We are not sinners in the sense of Luke chapter 6 at least. We are not sinners anymore. We are saints. In the sense of Luke chapter 6. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I mean, isn't this your experience? There's one motivation here. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. 
You were empty and bankrupt, and he came for you, and he found you, and he pulled you out of death and into life. He's given you his spirit. He's made you a new creation. You're his son. He's seated you right there, and you have this new attitude. You're different from the inside out. You're radically different. That is the main motivation that he presents here for this otherworldly love. Brothers and sisters, hear me on this. If you're going to love your enemies, it isn't going to be you. It's going to be Christ in you. It's going to be supernatural, Holy Spirit love. And if you have this love, this is fruit. This is evidence that you've been born from above. This is radical change. Jesus is trying to get rid of the pharisaical externalism that had plagued Judaism for 400 years. This superficial sort of external religion where the heart was rotten and greedy and jealous and power hungry and loved praise of men and feared man and all of that. He's trying to put a stake in it and get deep. If you're going to be my follower, there's a radical heart change that must happen. The power of the Spirit and the evidence of this radical change is not ritualism or not normalism, normal kind of love. It's radical love for enemies. It's supernatural. Number one, if you're going to be motivated to love, you've got to remember who you are. You've got to be who you are. You, Christian, are radically different. You're not natural. You're supernatural. And, the, and these reasons are going to build. Number two, we will be, first, we're radically different. Second reason we love our enemies is we will be rewarded forever. We will be rewarded forever. And your reward will be great. Now, let's let that sink in. And your reward, love your enemies, verse 35. And your reward will be great. Do you see it in the text? So number one, I'm radically different. Number two reason, we will be rewarded forever. Now, this kind of love that, that we love right now, we're loving our enemies, it's self-sacrificial love, and it means we're not getting our way. You know what that means with this kind of love? This kind of love for enemies always comes with loss. That's the message. This kind of love always comes with loss. Now, yet, he says, be encouraged. It's not really loss. It's not. He says, for your reward, and your reward will be great. And so the reward here is first and foremost future. It's, it's in heaven. And the text says your reward will be great. What a word in the Greek text. It's great. It's overflowing. It's overabounding. More than we can imagine, your reward will be great. Our best life is not now. The, our best life is then. The world thinks differently. And I hope that my friend never reads this, but I'm going to say it anyways. A friend of mine posted this on Facebook. And I quote, 
Listen to this. We are here for a good time, not a long time. Something to think about when you decide what to spend your money on. End quotes. That is the philosophy of woe. But not so for the disciple. We may lend now, expecting nothing in return, because we believe there is reward coming in heaven. Jim Elliott said, remember, quotes, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. C.S. Lewis talked a lot about this. He talked about this life as a book, that this life right now is the prologue of the whole book. We haven't entered chapter one of our lives until heaven. Chapter one is the beginning of our story. This is the prologue. Our reward will be great. There's loss now, no matter. For your reward will be great. Now, there are degrees of reward in heaven. There are degrees of reward in heaven. It's suffering before glory. But there is glory to come, but there are degrees of rewards in heaven. Does that sound funny? This is why we, this one lacks punch. We don't believe that. Now listen, 1 Corinthians 3, just write these references down. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 speaks of this reward. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 2 Corinthians 5.10, another reference, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Speaking of the reward of believers. Or how about the parable of the pounds? We're going to get to it in Luke chapter 19. Soon, hopefully. Parable of the pounds, Luke chapter 19. The one who made 10 pounds will have authority over 10 cities. The one who made 5 pounds, guess how many? Five cities. There's varying degrees of reward in heaven. I think many other passages speak to this directly or implication of degrees of reward for the believers at the, at the Bema judgment seat. Perhaps the best parallel of this, and this one I think will make it clear, the best parallel of this is Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's own account of the Sermon on the Mount is a parallel for reward. Do you remember this? Don't need to turn there. Just stay in Luke. Just listen. In Matthew 6, verse 17. Now, listen to this. Matthew 6, 17. Now, think about reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then the next verse. No, I kid you not, it's the next verse. The context is reward. 
I think, partially defining the reward. Verse 19, next verse. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Does that sound familiar? Like, woe to those who are rich now, satisfied now, laughing now. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, what? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And listen to this. I think this is in many ways the central point of the sermon. What Jesus says next, for where your treasure is, there where will your heart be also. And then you remember verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. What you sow, brothers and sisters, in this life, you shall reap, suffering before glory. Yes, but there is glory. There is service. We will rule over angels. There is wonder and creativity and significance and service. There is reward. And eye has not seen and ear has not heard and has not even entered into your mind all that God has had prepared for those who love him. Love your enemies right now, brothers and sisters, even if it costs you now, for your reward in heaven is great. That's Jesus' motivation. That's motivation number two. And all of these two, motiva- these two motivations flow out of our last motivation here. The greatest motivation that defines both of them in so many different ways. The greatest motivation to love our enemies is this. We resemble our Father. We resemble our Father. Our Father Our Father. Verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Why? For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is not teaching that by loving over the years, you will finally at the very end be a son of the Most High, that wouldn't make sense because he's saying, Dad, Daddy's kind, Daddy's merciful. You're, you're, of the same, you're of the same spiritual union with your Daddy. Love like it. How could you love your enemies now if it take you a million years to earn being a son then? No, we love now because we're like our daddy now. We are sons of the Most High God now. Here's what he is like. We resemble him. We're in relationship with him. The ultimate motivation here, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Sons and daughters of the Most High God, that's why we love. Now, let's face it. In this text, I'm not saying in the Job text, and you know we are still sinners in that sense, but let me tell you, in Luke 6, I am not a sinner in this context. Am I right? <laughs> no, no. We are sons of the Most High. Sounds a lot like Paul and Peter. Doesn't sound like pull-up 
the bootstraps moralism to me. No, we are not sons of Satan, like people locked in sin. The most fundamental reason that we love our enemies radically is that we're in a brand new relationship with God. We've been pulled out of darkness and into light. We've pulled out of the category of a of one locked in sin, and we have become sons of the Most High God by adoption. By adoption. We were helpless and hopeless, squirming in our blood like a baby cast out by the dumpster, about to die. And God found us. He came to us. He grabbed us. He cleaned off the blood. He brought us into his home. He put his his robe of righteousness on us. He forgave us, and he loved us with an everlasting love. He seated us at the table. He calls us sons. We have a new daddy now, Abba, Father. He's our father. And that's why it's Jesus who started all this talk, and Paul and Peter build upon it when they talk about adoption. And that's why Paul can write such wonderful truth. Watch all of the motivations in this one passage. Radical difference, reward, and resembling our Father because of a relationship as sons. Watch it all. Paul just unpacks Jesus' teaching. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, the relationship that leads to a resembling the reward and the radical change in us. All of it's there. Paul himself picks it up again in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Just soak this up. This is the love of God for us. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then you're an heir through God. And Jesus says, To those who hear, true disciples of Jesus Christ, he says, listen to me this morning. You are a son, a daughter of the Most High God. You're in relationship with God through him by faith alone. And this relationship is the root, is is the reason that we even hunger for the rewards of serving him in heaven. Why we are even ever radically different. It's this relationship and this desire that we have to resemble our daddy that fuels love for enemies. What do I mean? The resembling part. Well, I'm just following the text because that's where the text goes. Remember, sons resemble their fathers. Let's just think about natural genetics here. I have nine kids. 
for those of you who are new here, we have nine children, and they call me daddy or dad. Or, and I am their dad. They're my children. And they're always going to be my children. Always. If they walk away, I'll be there. Right, dads? Right? We're men. We're sinners. You think the father can... There's a covenant love even as fallen human beings. I'm always going to love them. And that's there. And, but there's also, unfortunately for them, a genetic likeness as well. They have some of my characteristics, each, each of them. It's not always a good thing. I apologize. <laughs> but it's true. There's a physical likeness sometimes, but there's even emotional likeness because we're family. We're blood. We're united together. But listen to me. That is true in the spiritual realm. We don't think about it enough. There's a union here. There, where the Holy Spirit lives within. We, we have him. He's been, we've been transformed. Peter says radically we've been, been partakers of the divine nature, he says. I don't know what that means, but it's really cool. And we're partakers of the divine nature. There's something there that connects us with, with our Father. So understand this, we, we not only want to be like our daddy, we will be like our daddy. Do you see? We will be. There's some likeness. It's the father's love for enemies. It's coming out. It's flowing out of his children. You see this? There's some resemblance there, and that's exactly where he goes. Watch this. And you will be sons of the Most High. Why? For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. The reason we love our enemies is we're like our Father, we resemble Him. Why? For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Get ready to have your theology shaped. God loves His enemies. Period. This is what this text says. That's why we're saved. And, and at the very heart of that love is kindness to ungrateful and evil men. That's why, are you ready? The rain pours on the just and on the unjust. If you are an unbeliever in this building this morning and you just suck that last breath in, oh, oh, you did it again. That is the very love of God for you. That's his patience for you. At that moment, if you, you might even have a membership to Lifetime. You might even go in a 21 below day. If it were 21 below, you might even get to sit in a warm hot tub as an unbeliever. You know what? That is love. That is love. You might experience the good gift of family, a house with 21 below, food and the taste of it. And, and the time to have another breath and another breath and yet not repenting, having time to repent, all of this is kindness. It is love from God for his creation. Some theologians call it common grace, but I want you to see it's love for enemies. I want you to see that. This is our daddy. This is our daddy. That's what he's like. And we resemble him in relationship to him. 
He loves his enemies. How do I know? The sunrise and the pouring rain for crops. How, what does God get back from these people? Is it reciprocated? I'll tell you what he gets back. Here's what God gets back to those people that he gives breath and rain and beauty. Rebellion, spitting in his face, writing books called God is Dead, sex trafficking, rejection, cursing his name as evil, all of that summed up in one thing, get away from me, God, I do not believe in you. That's what he gets. And yet he's patient, and yet he's kind. This is what our God is like. We're related to him. We're his sons. We have his seed dwelling inside of us, his spirit. We're new creations in Christ Jesus, and so we love like our daddy. We love our enemies. And that makes sense of this last verse. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. And we're going to unpack this next week, praise God. But this is what our father is like. And do you see what he says there? Be merciful. Look what he's doing. Just as your heavenly father is merciful. He's your father. You resemble him. Be merciful. Watch this. Brothers and sisters, we'll unpack it next week. You say, what is love? At the very heart of love is two things, kindness and mercy. They are both opposite sides of the same coin. Kindness is when I pour out grace on the undeserving. Mercy is when they deserve it, I'm about to hammer them, and then they hold I, my, the hand of God has stayed in mercy. Ah, in order to pour, God just doesn't stay his hand. God's hand is, is then pinned to the tree. And he pours out his kindness to us in grace. At the very heart of love for enemies is this twin companion of kindness before mercy. And so our daddy is like this. And so we, 